Slava Isusu Christo. And Jesus went amongst them, proclaiming the kingdom of God. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, our Lord, when the priest uh, begins the divine liturgy, he opens with these words. Blessed is the kingdom of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So when we celebrate the divine liturgy, we are celebrating our life in his kingdom, especially of his son, Jesus Christ, who feeds us on his body and blood to make, him, make us part of his kingdom by joining us with his flesh to his very being. I read a lot of history because if you don't know where you came from, you don't know who you are. And our society is bent on re removing our memories of who we are and who we belong to on what makes us a people. What makes us a people is we have a great king, Jesus Christ, son of the father, the great monarch, and we belong to his kingdom. Lord Jesus Christ has a heart that was pierced, and he poured out from that heart not only blood and water, but he poured out life, the gift of grace, and we are born into that kingdom. And he does not stop doing that, especially in the Holy Eucharist. So our Holy Eucharist, body, blood, soul, divinity, is our meal in the kingdom with the Father and the High Priest and the Holy Spirit, the giver of all gifts, especially uh, in the Byzantine Church, the anaphora, which is the offering or the Eucharistic prayer, has a triple prayer. It has the three sets of consecratory words, one for the bread, one for the blood, the wine, and third one for the coming down of the Holy Spirit, who is the protector and perfecter of all these gifts. It takes the whole prayer from the very beginning to the end to make God present amongst us in these holy gifts. We, we should uh, respond to this gift. 
with adoration, devotion, and love. How do we show that or try to show it? First of all, by preparing, always being in a state of grace, receive the holy gifts. Secondly, by thanking him, and Eucharist means to give thanks, and spending some time with him in preparation before the liturgy and after the liturgy and thanksgiving. And those, those prayers are to be found in the uh, Byzantine prayer, Book of Prayer. Uh, in the priest prayer book, there are special prayers. I usually say them before liturgy and after liturgy. And there's an office which the monks say uh, after liturgy in the temple that I usually go say my own prayers, the priest prayers, go to my big chair. I want to say to God today and to you, I'm so grateful to God. I could have been born without these gifts, but my parents saw to it that I received the sacraments. Somehow, Catholic parents are not necessarily praying with their children, preparing them to receive the sacraments, or constantly praying for them that they don't fall from unity with the church. We cannot fall from the unity of church because if we do that, our hope of heaven is slim. To stay in the unity of the church means you live an ascetical life. Who gave us the example of ascetical life? Jesus Christ. He prayed and fasted. He kept all the holy days. He'd go up to the temple and pray in the temple. And he went out on the mountaintop and prayed against the great temptations, the world, the flesh, and the devil, which plague us all. Without prayer and fasting, we're going to be swallowed by the evil in the world. So we have to stay close to our Lord, our preparation for the Eucharist, our thanksgiving, and our reception of the Eucharist. I, uh, we asked in seminary one time, when we see the precious body and blood of our Lord, how long does it remain with us? They said, possibly 15 minutes. So I always try to spend that 15 minutes prayerfully. It's not always easy. It's not always available to me that 15 minutes. The Christian is the one who belongs to Christ. It's not just that he believes who Christ is, but he belongs as a child of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and Christ is his older brother, 
Somebody later was uh, earlier this week was asking me, what is a resurrected body like? It's like the glorified body of Christ in heaven. Lucky you. It's not different. What Christ became by nature, you will become by the divine energies, the grace. And you're feeding that body and by virtues and by receiving our body and blood of the Lord in the Holy Eucharist. I think I shiver when I think of the glory of the Eucharist and what it does for us. There are several times and many times that you should make a greater effort before things loosened up, you know. We used to fast at least from midnight, then they did three hours, and now it's an hour. Well, hardly, that's hardly fasting at all because you can drive to the church and come in, you've already done an hour without food. But there's another type of fasting you can do. When you sit down, you eat your one or two meals or three meals that you ever have a day, don't take too much food. Just take what you need. Try to eat one helping. Offer the rest for the poor souls and his preparation to receive the Eucharist. Why do we fast before the Eucharist? Simple. This is food different from any other food. And so our stomach should be fasting to receive it. Our stomach should be a friend and not, as Paul tells us, our enemy that we do not fast as we should, especially for the Eucharist. Behind you, and they mentioned today in the office, in the Tropars, the martyrs of Carpatarus. They didn't become martyrs without prayer and fasting. When I was in Usharat, the first time, I tried to go before that, but it was difficult because I was in the military and the Soviets said that I could come into the country, but they wouldn't guarantee I would get out. So the State Department told me, you must not go. But it's already in Vienna, but I did not go. And I'd have to remain in uniform so they could identify me at all times. Uh, you have a uniform. And God wants to identify you at all times. Your immortal soul filled with divine life. It glows. It's beautiful. How should I lead my life to decorate with my soul with the beauty of the life of grace? So you have to make hard decisions sometimes about 
marriage, about becoming a monk, about your vocation. You should make the hardest decision that pleases God, not the one that pleases you. I remember when I was a little boy, uh, I was eight years old, I almost died. And my mother, you know, a mother is the greatest gift that God ever gave to us. She'll, she'll follow you through fire. She'll go through fire for you. And I woke up uh, from the operation, and I looked up, and my mother was right there. Daddy wasn't there. He had to work. Daddy was always working. And my mother said to me, you're going to be a priest. So she planted the seed. When I got older and I was going through puberty, which is very difficult for a young boy to go through, it changes your whole life. And it, it happens almost just in seven days, and all of a sudden you think you lost your mind. And so I went, Father Hodacek, he was a wonderful priest, prayerful, always dressed as a priest, always rosary in his hand. Anyway, I went to confession. I said, Father, I'm sort of sick. So I told him what was happening to me, feelings and whatever was going on. He says to me, you're becoming a man. You're maturing. I said, well, once, do I have to put up with it? He says, yes. It's part of, your, part of the gift of God. Either be a pure man or to become like the devils and make excuses for yourself. Father Dodgick was terrific. He gave me a little book. I don't have it anymore. I've given it, passed it on to somebody. And there was Jesus Christ on the front of it, like a picture of him. And he was 12 years old. And it was about safeguarding your chastity. Very important gift to bring to God. Um, if you're going to safeguard your chastity, you have to fast and pray hard and go to the Eucharist frequently. The Eucharist is the food for the journey. It's the medication. It's the salvation of your soul, the gift of the Father, through the Son in the Holy Spirit. On this day, the liturgy, Jesus was out preaching the kingdom. I often wonder if he mentioned that before uh, 
the Last Supper to the disciples. But I always think of John's Gospel, chapter 6. Unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you do not have life in you. It says, from his followers walked away. They said, how can we eat his body and his blood? He was revealing to them the Holy Eucharist, which is the food for your journey and the food for your soul and will keep you holy. And you will take your vocation that God is giving you, even if it's difficult. So I used to pray, after I was going through puberty, I said, well, God, I'd like to be a father, but I think I'd like to be a father with children. God never answered that prayer. He had other plans for me. Thank you, Lord. Because as a priest, I can feed the body and blood of Christ to Christians, make them holy. But I ask you not to just see, go to communion casually, like it's part of this, a ceremony. It's much more than that. And in the Bible, it says to us, take and eat, this is my body. Take and drink, this is my blood. That's Paul. And Paul says, I'm handing on to you what I received from the Lord. And the Greek word is paradosis. It's to hand down a tradition. And that's what's in the Bible, paradosis. Used not too frequently. So this is your sacred treasure of your whole life. Now I, myself, am, uh, I like vestments and I like church. I like beautiful music. And I like glittery things like rings and crosses and everything. And I enjoy those things, most priests do. But the most greatest gift I should have and enjoy is my privilege to receive the Eucharist. So in the monastery here, we don't have liturgy every day because we have fast days and hallelujah days and days when I'm not too well or somebody's not too well. But every day, it, some uh, um, service in Matins or Malebin to St. Joseph, we receive the Eucharist. So we really, except for Good Friday, of course, we would not receive the Eucharist. So I hope my monks are mindful of it and they know what I'm doing. I'm preparing them for the royal highway to heaven to be with their king. And it will be beautiful. On the back door, uh, wall, and the, on the front wall in the north, there's the back door of the church. We have the last judgment from the book of the apocalypse. It's not the usual one you see. And I like it. It's based on Apocalypse 7 and Apocalypse 20, those two chapters. You see Christ on a horse, and he's got the sword coming from his mouth, the word of God. 
And on his side, he has the epic nation. It's a sign of a, I wear one too. It's an honor for me to have one. And it's a sign of a preacher. Speaks the word of God. On one side of him are all sorts of famous people, kings and queens and all sorts of people going into the great beast, which is hell. And on the other side is simple people, shepherds and uh, religious people, devout people, and angels on horses bringing them into the heavenly kingdom. Nowadays, when I come into church, I look at that. Because I know this is the kingdom in here. And I know if I get through the last judgment, I'm going to be in the kingdom. That's why it's right there. My dear brothers and sisters, you're going to be in the kingdom if you eat the bread of life worthily. In our tradition, when someone's dying, the priest comes to give them, in Latin, the Saviaticum, comes with the last gifts. What does the priest do? He brings with him the Blessed Sacrament from the tabernacle, and I take with myself a little bit of unconsecrated wine, because once the wine touches the Holy Eucharist, it's consecrated. And then usually, depending upon the condition of the person, Sometimes I'll take a little consecrated wine with me if they're really extremes. And if I can't give them the bread of life, I give them some of the precious blood. Our tradition, our pious belief is if you receive that and die, you go straight to heaven. So it's very important. If the priest comes to you and gives you the food for the journey, your ultimate journey. During this pandemic that we're still talking about, I'm not too sure about it myself, what it is. We've had lots of things like that in my lifetime, but they sure have made a lot of fuss about this one. We should always be taking care of our health. Don't misunderstand me. But Father Kaz, America, went to the Veterans Hospital. An 80-some-year-old man was sick and dying, and they wouldn't let him in. He had a fit. I said, you should have blown the door down. This might be that man's great chance for heaven. And he knew that. But God is merciful. When I was in uh, Seattle, I uh, was taking care of a, a, a man who was new to the Byzantine Catholic Church. And he'd come to see me once a week or so, and we would discuss. And he got very sick. He had, had testicular cancer, which is bad. 
And I've seen that before in the military and hospitals. Men take that very bad. It's very bad. And he was dying. And uh, I went to see him a couple times in the hospital. But he said to me, it's about, it's like after morning liturgy and everything. I'd go in the afternoon. I didn't go. I used to get Brother Patera to go with me, so I would be chaperoned, and I would have uh, someone to protect me if I needed protection. And uh, so anyway, uh, we went in the room, and I anointed him. I gave him the holy gifts. And he looks up at me, just a young guy, you know, maybe 34, 35. He says, you know, Father, I said, what? And he was, he uh, said, the Byzantine Catholic Church takes care of its people very well. I thought that was a tremendous compliment. And sometimes maybe we do, and sometimes we maybe we don't, but we try. So by the time I got back to the rectory, the phone call, he had died. I had no doubt where he went. He's appreciative of God for care, and he received the holy gifts. Now, my dear brothers and sisters, there's a lot of people we spend hours adoring our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. That's fine. All prayer is good. But it's better that you receive. Jesus said, take and eat and take and drink. Do both. And when you receive our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament, that's the time for good, deep adoration. You want to go visit the Blessed Sacrament? That's well. I liked it. Uh, and I uh, used to be in Yonkers, the top of the hill that was St. Joseph's Parish. And Monday nights they would have, but the Roman Catholics had benediction. And I would go, and they would put the uh, monstrance on the altar, and they put the host in there. And they would have a light of... of uh, Candles, 14 candles, flowers, and people would come in and do adoration. I like that. I was there one time, I saw the host enlarge itself and fill the church. Just recently in Seattle, in the West Seattle, a priest was celebrating the Eucharist and the host started to bleed. So he saved the host, he put in a monstrance, and people were there they knew. So people started coming to church to adore that host. I said, we got to get there quick. I don't know who was with me, probably a Brother Pater. And we went there, I wanted, and they took my picture with it, but they never gave me the picture. But anyway, um, Archbishop came and took it away. I don't know why he did that. 
They should leave those things for the edification of the faithful. We go to a doctor, the monks, we have our own doctor. He's very good to us. I found the doctor for us. I said, will you take care of my monks? He says, I will. He says, there's only two things I can do. He says, either I have to cut or I have to give you pills. I said, nothing. He said, nothing else can I can do. I'm a physician, but... And I thought to myself, but God can do miracles. And I've told you this miracle before. I was Sunday afternoon, and liturgy was over, and I wanted to take it easy. You know how priests are. They, they want to take it easy Sunday afternoon. And sort of lazy, you know. And uh, the phone rang. And this couple with the children's hospital, and they had a little girl, and she was coded already. They coded her for death. So, what can I do? Forget my afternoon arrest. I got in the car, took somebody with me. I went to Children's Hospital. I went in the room, intensive care at Children's Hospital. The family was there, mother and dad, and a couple nurses. So I brought the Blessed Sacrament with me and the True Cross. I have a relic of the True Cross. First class, by the way. Well, didn't look too good. The first thing I did, I asked them, I said, did she receive all the sacraments? Did she make her first communion? No. I said, I'm Byzantine Catholic priestess. I'm going to give her the rest of her sacraments. So I, chrism I chrismated her. I gave her Holy Communion. That's the proper order, by the way, of the sacraments. I took the true cross and put it on her five times for the wounds of Christ. And mind you, they had gauze on her head. They had operated, but they hadn't closed it up. And she woke up. And she said some very human things. She says, I'm hungry, and I have to go to the bathroom. The best words we ever heard. And she lived quite a while after that. And they took her home. They made her bedroom into like a little princess's room. And she was gift to her parents for quite a while after that. After that, I, I had to get out of there. So I was leaving, and the uh, nurse said, where are you from? I says, I says I'm from heaven, because I didn't want him to find me. I'd be doing, I'd be work overworked. God works miracles with the Eucharist in simple ways. There are many mystics who can tell you that, and you can read about them. And we have, in the Catholic Church, we have these Eucharistic Congresses and all these things, and people go, lots of young people go, because we old-timers can't walk that far. It's an amazing gift. 
in the Holy Eucharist, in the Divine Liturgy, in this temple, Christ is still preaching the gospel of his kingdom. Name the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen.